to Disjointed. Our podcast mission is to bring a voice to the problems facing decision-making in the built environment. Today, communication and processes are disjointed in the world of design and construction. Work happens across tools, teams, and timelines, making it hard to keep everyone connected. It's a constant challenge to reduce friction and meet project expectations. We believe there's a better way. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. I'm your host, Jeff Sample, and I have a new guest today, Ryan Fertig. Ryan, introduce yourself. Let everybody know who you are. Thanks, Jeff. I'm Ryan Fertig. I'm the head of construction for U.S. real estate for uh, Vestas American Wind Technology. They're a wind turbine manufacturer. Tell us a little bit more about your background. How'd you get here? My family uh, runs a commercial construction business, and so that's kind of the environment I grew up in. That's what I remember from a young age, running equipment, pouring concrete, doing dirt work, building stuff, and I've always loved it. Um, There's a point when doing concrete in the winter uh, sort of loses its pizzazz, and so (laughs) I went to go become a structural engineer. I have a master's in that, designed bridges for HDR for a while, um, worked on some some big P3 projects, a lot of technical stuff, then went to design buildings with a company called Martin & Martin, and um, from there moved on to working for Vestas, uh, where I am now. So I've been on the contractor side, been on the design and engineering side, now I'm on the owner side, licensed structural engineer, licensed general contractor. If you had a license for uh, being an owner, they'd give one, but who knows what you do as an owner. Just make it not break. Yeah, I was going to say, it's an interesting spot to be in. There's, uh, there is um, degrees you can get in other ones, but there's really no degree in what you're doing right now, is there? <laughs> yeah, not so much. It's a bit of, a, it's a bit of an ambiguous role, a uh, bit higher level. They say, here's what we want deliver it. We don't want to hear what happens in the middle. So a certification in uh, delivering stuff people want. Is there something for that? Uh, that's repeat customers is about the only one I know or, uh, or, or happy owners, you know, happy people who are in the, in the building. Maybe that's your certificate. Something. Yeah. Have stayed alive for this many years. Yeah. You know, contrary to the industry trying to stop you, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and you represent a great role. We we met at Kurt recently and, and, you know, I've been quoting you for a while and I'm excited to have you bring this persona because, um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say it. We, you said this at a Kurt conference to me is that, you know, if we keep getting in a room and agreeing with one another, we're not going to get anywhere. And it really struck a chord with me. I think I'd been saying it for a while without that kind of clarity. So it was why I wanted to bring you on and why, you know, what drove you to even say that, you know, where, where, what's the feelings behind that right now? (laughs) That's a long time in the making, you know, it comes from when you're growing up, you think that there is an answer to every problem, right? That happens in a small example is engineering, learn the engineering, go out and practice, like provide a, a known solution to a new problem. And what you find in engineering is that there's a tremendous amount of judgment, even when the entire world is codified. It's really surprising. And uh, I think the same is true when you talk about capital project delivery. 
when I spend time on the contractor's side, it's challenging. You know, nothing will hold still. You have things to say about the engineers and and um, the people influencing it. And so it's easy to say, if those people just knew what I know, we could fix this. And then I moved on to consulting. And now you have a different set of issues you're dealing with. And, and those people in that bubble will say, well, if these people only knew what I knew, we could fix this. And then I moved on to the owner and you sort of have a bit more control in how you deliver things. And it was there that I came to the realization that you're living in a false reality. Even if everybody knows what everybody else knew, you still probably wouldn't solve it. Why? Because some of your mental models are broken. So as I moved into Kurt, um, you know, that was my attempt to say, well, surely some other large owners have solved this. Like there's way too much money flying around. I'm just the idiot in the room. And maybe that's still the case. But what I found was everybody else was scrambling, too. And um, so that was just part of my journey to say, look, this is a really, really unsolved problem. And all you hear in the industry are are sort of... Uh, canned solutions that that marketing teams build legs around right there we know what we're supposed to do and if you could just do that it would be solved you know and that started with pick your delivery method right (laughs) 20 years ago design build was the thing and i'm not saying it's it's bad right there's there's benefits but evidently it wasn't because now we have design build assist Uh, just a, a little modification is all we need And now we have integrated project delivery. Just a little modification is all we need. And if people could just come up to learn IPD, we would solve this whole thing. And again, each have their their benefits. But what you don't hear in these rooms is, hey, look, that's that's nonsense for me. There's not that candid, um, candid conflict, you know, respectful. But look, this isn't the solution. And so it was just an attempt to say until we get real, about the mess that capital projects are, we're not going to solve anything. Yeah, I fully agree. I mean, that's why the, the, the show's named what it's named. As I started to pull on the the threads here, the, the sweater came apart and I started to realize we're disjointed. Like we don't have the answers. I, I've had a similar experience of working with trade contractors and working with general contractors and working with architects and owners and hearing the same thing. Like if they just knew and they don't. And that's actually not how we're going to solve it. And that's that's the problem I wanted to pose and have been posing to you is like, what are the issues that are driving you as an owner, you know, to change and challenge construction to deliver these projects differently? What 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 can we do? What are the problems we're facing, you know, and from your perspective now that you sit in this new chair? Well, I think the first thing that would be helpful for the industry is to start being more specific with our language okay and i'll i'll start with key pet peeve number one i don't know how many times in the construction industry we show the curve from from uh, mckinsey talking about how construction productivity is flat like let's just put it out there it's complete it's not nonsense but it's useless because it doesn't have enough detail is multifamily construction flat is Highway construction flat? Is industrial construction flat? Is it the residential guys? Procurement methods, completely different. Uh, employment base, completely different. Ownership, completely different. So what are we actually achieving when we 
when we sort of smear language so much that it's meaningless. I say not much. And so for people that that um, are maybe new in the industry or, or I don't know, just haven't thought deeply about that, it can be seriously misleading because you can say, okay, this is the solution I need. And it's, it's an endless quest for false solutions. Like it's not going to work for you. And um, yeah, so, so that's an example. The other thing is we have an inability to deal with, with, uh, I don't know, maybe statistical, statistical questions, right? When, when you hear a fact, you need to be able to place it on the distribution of facts. If I show you a picture of a three-legged dog, you're going to say, well, dogs don't have three legs. And I'm going to say, no, look, this is a three-legged dog. Don't tell me dogs don't have three legs. And you're going to be like, this guy's insane. And the reason is because you're saying that three-legged dog is on the tail of this, say it's a normal distribution. It's on the tail of what represents reality. And I'm saying, what, it's in the middle? And so what what I'll call, uh, whatever, capital project wisdom is being able to, to identify facts and figure out where they fit in the distribution of the real world. Does your experience reflect what is typical? And so one of the things that's challenging when you hear experts who, who are legitimately experts is, are they showing you a picture of a three-legged dog? Or are they showing you a picture of a four-legged dog? And, and do you know the difference? And um, by the way, both of those are easy to verify. So it's this sort of mess where you have a lot of different ways that construction can be delivered. I mentioned ownership. I mentioned product type. It's also geographical differences. It's also proclivity to litigation. It's it's competency of the owner. And when you zoom out far enough, what you have is kind of a mess, right? You don't know what to deal with. And eh, you might say it's disjointed, Jeff. <laughs> and I, I might, I might. Just... <laughs> maybe. And uh, so for me personally, what I've tried to do is go back to really foundational principles. Does economics work in construction as well? If it does, then that says something about how we should deliver construction. Do you understand supply chain well enough? Do you understand risk management techniques well enough to actually build up a construction delivery program that's that's foundational, that's consistent with foundational principles and also nuanced enough for your specific case that you can actually execute? For me, most of the uh, so-called best practice is not so relevant for what I do. So... Anyway, it, it's hard to say what the problem is for someone else and what the solution is for someone else. But for me, I go back to basic principles. And what that looks like is is our legal strategy is junk. Okay, I don't want to mitigate nonsensical risks at definite costs because I have an idea of what those costs are. So I'm going to judge risks um, in a way that my competency allows me to. And I'm going to write contracts accordingly. Um, what that means is this idea of building up uh, risk management schemes based on constituent parts. I, I just disagree with. It's necessary, 
But let me tell you, every risk that's ever blown up a project has never been on my list. And so can we deal with that? <laughs> like, what does that mean? If so, we need to start talking about that. So I take a different approach to risk management and I try to build a robust system that can withstand shock, knowing that there's going to be something that comes that I don't know how to deal with. How can I adjust? Those are the types of things. How do I select contractors? Do I want a contractor that is best suited to finance my balance sheet? That, that doesn't really make that much sense. You know, I, I actually want someone who's good at doing the work I want them to do. And I can handle the financing. So what does that mean I have to do with payment terms? Well, we're going to have to have a conversation with procurement. So I start from foundational principles as I see them. And I might be wrong, uh, but I try to build up what I know about those foundations and match it with the environment that I see for me personally. Well, you covered a lot. Um, and I, I love the perspective. Um, and I'm, I'm going to try and break it down a little bit from the beginning. I love that you went after the McKinsey one. And in fact, I've always had a unique view of that McKinsey curve that they showed. I've always been like, I'm the eternal optimist when it comes to technology and opportunity. So I've been showing that curve for a really long time and only showing it in the matter of saying, Hey, listen, you guys have been beaten over the head with this thing. I'm showing it to you because I want you to see the opportunity that's available to you. But you just made me rethink that curve completely. And I've been rethinking it, but you articulated it in a way that, you know, we talk about this disjointed nature, right? We talk about, everybody talks about the built environment. And I think when McKinsey painted that, you were exactly right. It was a marketing ploy, right? They saw a new frontier to go in and sell their consulting services and help another group transform. I think that's a good thing because we needed transformation. I think that graph, somebody should beat them back over the head with it. Um, because you're right. It's far more nuanced than that. You know, I've, uh, it's really funny that you say it because I've been telling contractors, you know, for years, Hey, listen, it's one thing to look at your whole balance sheet, but you've got to take that data and be able to split it up and understand, you know, not just the region that you're in, but the type of work that it is and the height at which you're working. You know, at, you know, you get to maybe 14 floors and you're no longer productive. Your productivity at ground zero and 14 are very different. You just said that the entire industry is that. Is that what I caught out of it? That, that we do need a better ability to take that study break it out and you as an owner or anyone in their vertical needs to understand that vertical more specifically. Is that kind of what you're thinking is it to, to get an idea? Yeah. You need more detailed understanding of what precisely you're doing that. So that includes uh, product type that includes what kind of owner you are. Um, that includes the scale that you're at. You know, scale introduces a lot of challenges. There's things you can do at $10 million. You probably shouldn't try to do at a billion dollars. Um, but the other thing that McKinsey study illustrates, and, and I don't want to knock it. Like, there's a lot of good work, a lot of good research in it. But what's, what's the purpose? Was it to solve something or was it, in fact, within the best practice of sales and marketing to say, look, people don't understand detail right? They understand one message. So I want one curve that drives further investment. Like that's the curve. And people have used it all over successfully. So for that purpose, it's magnificent. I'm just saying for a practitioner, 
it's a little frustrating because you're like, wait, there's there's so much more. And the the Bureau of Labor Statistics has has other stuff on this. There's there's a whole world out there to debate it. Um, but yeah, it, it all comes back to, are you understanding what's out there? Do you understand your own business enough to not just think there's one best practice for capital project delivery? How does it, how does it fit you? Well, yeah. and that goes to, it, it dovetails nicely into when you talk about delivery methods, right? The design bill has been around for 30 years, you know, and, and you're right. We, we went design build, we went to design assist, and then you get some trade contractors in the background and they'll tell you it's design rescue, no matter what it is when it comes to me, you know, like we've been make, poking fun at it. And then, and then you've got IPD that, that, you know, in a lot of projects it works, but, and I'm with you like that, those things work in a lot of places, but there is just no one size fits them all. We're not going to find the, integrated delivery model of design is whatever acronym you want to create. That's going to work for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Project delivery is a huge topic, right? But I think when you go down to fundamentals, what are you really saying when you say uh, design build is a solution or IPD? What you're saying is that the original thing is broken down. So say it was design bid build. Okay. The reason that exists is because of, foundational economics this this sort of idea of competition driving to the lowest price there's a whole debate about that you know just don't talk to me about best value okay but let's just stick with design bid build look there's an asymptotic relationship between the number of bids you get and your proximity to what the market price should be that's a fact that there's a curve okay so, so why shouldn't that work? The reason is because design documents are not tight. Okay, there's gaps all over the place. They don't know how to build it. Okay, there's communication errors. And so we've tried to address that by saying, well, we need the contractor to be involved. True, like get expertise. That's a foundational principle that I'm all on board with. Communication, foundational principle. Why can't we say, how do we get design documents to be tight? Like, why do we give engineers a pass to just put a mess on paper? And, and is it their fault? Isn't the market that we've created one of stamping out typical details in the most efficient way possible and shedding as much liability as possible? Why does that exist? I don't know. Let's talk about the litigious nature of owners, right? These people are we've driven them into an environment where trying to get the best constructible um, product out is secondary to trying not to lose your company and, and getting the best product out, you can't do it without risk. So we've stripped away the consultant's ability to take on risk because we as owners who control the entire project have said, yeah, you do your thing for 1%. Or whatever it is, and you're going to be on the hook for a hundred percent. It's not acceptable. So, I guess my issue with project delivery methods is that we're we're chasing symptoms without addressing root cause. And and the same deal with design build. It's a fantastic idea, okay? But the reality with design build is you want to whittle proposals down based on something called best value. Owners are not in a place to determine best value. Right. 
number one, it's price. You assume there's this work relationship. You assume in the design build process that they'll engage and reduce complexity. All those things are possible, but you need to evaluate for your project whether that'll happen. And what will happen for sure is you reduce the number of bidders. So back to this asymptotic curve where number of bidders gets you closer to market price, you're definitely punting on a foundational principle. You're maybe picking up some gains to fix symptoms of a broken previous case, if that makes sense, in my mind. Yeah, well, no, and you're breaking it down. I mean, it, there's a lot of uh, back and forth on it. And you're right, that the economics, we can't avoid them, right? Um, but the idea was, is, you know, trying to share some of that risk and trying to change some of that around those changing delivery methods and what you're saying and and I think you, I agree here is that we've created an environment in which basically all of us are operating with the person above us. Above us is the wrong term for it, but the the person that we're responsible for is knife at our throat at all times. Is that really the best way for all of us to operate? I don't I don't operate best at that. What I do is I as I reduce the risk of that sword going going into me at that point in time, right? And I and to to maintain my own life, which again draws us back into our own companies and our own uh, uh awareness of, you know, existing versus hey, what's best for this project? What can we share together in this project? What can we do to advance it? You covered that early on when you were talking around I've never put a risk in my contract that I've ever really experienced and blew up my project. That's because we're always looking backwards. We're like, well, that happened. So I'm going to put it in a contract. Well, well, of course that's what you do, but we're probably, I mean, I'm, I'm watching the football this weekend. There's a minute left in the game and they kick the ball and they squib kick it because a week ago, somebody didn't squib kick it and it cost them. We learn from that mistake, but we're like litigating into it. We're allowing that to continue to drag us down. How do we get out of that? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think, so I think issue number one, somebody said once the person that can best define the problem is probably the one most likely to solve it. Issue number one is I think you have, you have too much separation between uh, components of a capital project and, and say, uh, KPIs. And what I mean by that is that, say, the legal team has a specific objective. That's to limit risk, period. They don't get judged on project cost. Like, that's not a thing. So if they're allowed to to do their job, they're going to blow up your project cost. So there's automatically friction. And that happens all the way up and down uh, the chain. And so the same thing where you talk about engineers or contractors, whatever else, everyone is living in their own little world. And um, they have to because the, the laws of the land will penalize them if they step out. Same thing within an organization. Do owners really get judged if they hit the market price? Does anyone really know what that project should cost? No, not really. You can get close. You have to be credible. There's so many variables. It's pretty tough. So in an owner's role, 
um, <laughs> what keeps you alive. It's doing best practice, whether they're best or not. It's hiring reputable companies, whether they're best or not, so that if something goes wrong, you can lay out a list of, well, you see, I followed procedure. So I guess what I'm getting to is, in a way, we live our lives individually in the same way that capital projects operate corporately, right? We're, we're, we're not actually trying to do the best because the consequences, if we fail, are not acceptable. And similarly, in, in and I hold myself out of that, I, I try very hard to take the risk and to do the best. But that's the reality of the industry. And similarly, in a corporation, you know, they don't care about construction if it's non-core business. They want their business to run. And so they're not really interested in optimizing, right? They're interested in doing their thing. And as such, there's not, there's just not a lot of leeway to experiment, you know, and, and the industry is such that, yeah, there's not a lot of people building up that database of, of, of thought that says, you know what, this is actually the best way to do it and take payment terms as the easiest example. <laughs> is it is it good or bad for a corporation to have long payment terms it's magnificent for a public corporation right because you increase the spread between your accounts uh, receivable and accounts payable okay that spread reflects well on your books the effect that that has on a contractor is that you're essentially making them finance your project. So you ask the question, is the contractor more able to finance the project or is the corporation that's building it more able to do it? Obviously the corporation at a cheaper rate. They don't, they don't care, right? It's, it's not a thing because they don't care about construction. So, you know, you're sort of forced down this path because not everyone is invested in optimizing the capital project delivery. I guess that's my ultimate point. If everyone was invested in doing the best job for that project, if that was the only metric, I think you'd have a different world. We've experimented with that some as far as risk. Um, Consultants, different materials we've tried with some success actually. So I think there is a case to be made to say, look, as an owner, we are gonna take on some risk because we can quantify that and that's less of a deal to us in aggregate than it is to you specifically. And I think that's probably where the best value can be had. When an owner says, I see the risk, I understand the risk, I'll take this, you take that. What are you afraid of that's keeping you from your best work? All right, that that's acceptable to me. I mean, do you have consultants, for instance, that you can tell, look, I just want your opinion. You got to tell me your gut and I'll make the decision on the risk. Don't, don't write me a memo on it. I want your expertise. If you can, if you can build a trusting relationship like that, that's when you're going to get the best results. Who else have contractors that we can say, look, I know this schedule is impossible. I, I just want your best. Like, what do we need to do? Well, we have to pre-order this and I don't have approval for it. You know, engineers aren't done. Great. I'll take that risk. You know, you're free. Order it, get it coming. That's where you start making up gains. When everyone sits in their corner, yeah, it's safer, I suppose, but 
but you're not really you're not really in the race. So getting everyone to get in the race by removing that risk where it needs to be done, I think is the biggest thing others can do. I think it's a transfer transformational move. Um, you're talking about putting skin in the game and that's a critical part. Um, and you know, we've, we've joked around that this is a, you know, an industry that dabbles in construction construction and mainly does financing and that finance just drives up costs on the bottom line and, and they have to do it because there's not enough people out there saying, Hey, what's your risks? I'm willing to eat part of that in order to get the gains that are possible from it. So, um, and I know that that a lot of work's going into, I love that you called it a thought database around opportunities to try doing things differently and delivering differently because doing the same thing over and over is the definition of insanity and it's not working. Um, but I also like, you know, really, Ryan, that you bring on that the owners have some culpability just like everyone has culpability in you can't sit back. Right. You've got to lean in and say, look, we're going to we're going to mitigate risk. We have the financial capabilities to take more of these risks in those areas. So that's where your risk V reward starts to come in. Um, we're never going to change the delivery unless we do something like that. Yeah, I think it's a great point. But I also want to just improve that definition of risk by by asking a hypothetical question. Is it is it risky to drive 100 miles an hour. Well, it depends what your highway looks like. And it depends if you have a professional race car driver at the wheel or a four-year-old. So the concept of risk is not, it's not, uh, it's not a value. Okay, the, the price of risk can be influenced. And what we miss is that we're completely ignoring the effect that competence can have. If that makes sense. Competence, competence can de-risk your project more than anything else. So if you're if you're sitting there trying to run a spreadsheet, you know, being a project coordinator instead of a project manager, one who influences outcomes, the risk is gigantic. I don't care what's on your list. If you're someone that understands the process well enough in detail that you can influence it, that you can change directions, that you feel comfortable with with it, um, yeah, that's where you start de-risking. So don't forget that component in the owner's court. You, you cannot put amateurs in charge of capital projects. And that's the other, uh, you know, I don't want to throw owners under the bus, but... Uh, Corporations have a professional management culture and, and people routinely manage businesses they don't understand through management principles. And that breaks down a little bit in capital construction. So oftentimes you have people that are good managers that are not experts in the field running programs. And um, yeah, you're kind of missing the point in that way. I couldn't capture it any better. The, the, is driving at 100 miles an hour risky? It really depends on what car you have and who's driving it. And that's a real important piece that I think gets lost in it. Um, the expertise is important, you know. Um, I, I couldn't have captured that any better. And in fact, I want to leave it there because we're getting right to that point where you've put a lot out there. Is there anything else you want to put out there? Because this is, you know, this entire round of disjointed is about, you know, airing these things because we're going to have deeper conversations. And I think this is the beginning of a really deep one. 
Uh, I know when I go back over it, I'm going to learn a lot just from listening back to you and, and having a little bit more time with it. The only other thing I want to add is related to the work first and on the contractor side, because I feel strongly uh, with my family in construction, uh, myself now being on the corporate side, I, I live in both worlds and both worlds are misunderstood. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, damage done, I suppose, when, when you don't understand. So I just want to bring up the concept of incentives and of uh, the concept of quality in terms of construction and craft labor. Incentives, because I want the industry to think a little bit about what are we, what are we asking contractors to do by the way we hire them? If we as another prioritize everything except can they do a good job, um, they're going to continue hiring excellent sales teams and excellent marketing departments. And it, that's the essence of branding, and we pray for brands. The more we are uh, impressed by that, the more that's the way to go. And the people that actually influence a project, the superintendents, the foreman, the people in the dirt, the more uh, their livelihood is not appreciated, right? The more their future is jeopardized. And, and I guess I'm someone who clearly sees the success of a project depends on those people actually in the dirt. And the more we can incentivize uh the more we can make that visible, the more we can hire based on who actually are you going to put in the field, the more we can pay more for better superintendents and less for worse ones and less less hiring based on the portfolio or the pamphlet that a contractor shows you, um, the better off the industry is going to be. If we can start at the ground level and say, look, there's a future here because excellence is rewarded. It's not just this ambiguous sort of sales game uh, where you're you're sort of traded back and forth. I want to see who's going to be on the field. I want to pay more for the best. And by doing that, you're going to make the best uh, more rewarded. You're going to incentivize everyone to try to be the best. And I think construction improves from there. Uh, I think you're right. I mean, if and, and there's lots of money for it there. If you reduce those risks where we're spending a lot of extra money, then you could pay those people what they're worth and you can deliver what they're worth and you can share those incentives. I mean, at the end of this, I think, uh, our, our friend Nathan Wood over at construction progress coalition is going to owe me, but it's, you know, <laughs> tell me how I'm measured and I'll show you how I act, you know? So am I measured by my marketing and, and my pamphlets or am I measured by my quality and what I do? Well, then I'm going to act very differently in both those cases, but shared risks, shared rewards. That's where it's got to go. That's what we have to do. So, um, I can't, I can't end it any better than you just did. Ryan, thank you so much for sitting down with me. Tell everybody where they can go find out more about you, connect with you and maybe get involved in the conversation. Yeah, probably my LinkedIn profile is the easiest way to get a hold of me. It's out there. I'll, I'll check it and get back to you. Awesome. Well, we will have that LinkedIn profile in the show notes for everybody so you can connect with Ryan and continue the conversation. I have a feeling his, uh, LinkedIn is going to be blowing up. Uh, right after this. So thanks for tuning in to this season of Disjointed. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. To learn more about Disjointed or read the show notes, just stop by 
disjointed.fm. Do you have a show idea or want to lend your voice to the discussion? Then email me at jeff at disjointed.fm. This show is brought to you by Join, the decision-making platform for the built environment. Learn more at join.build.